Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast for Monday, July 7th, 2014. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and hopefully you all had a fun, relaxing, and awesome 4th of July weekend. I know I certainly did. It's been kind of a rarity since I've been working with the Blue Wahoos to have really any kind of extended time off. I've had days off every now and then, but not really a two or three day period where I could just relax and do nothing. And if it's not because of working with the Wahoos, it's been something else. But this past weekend, I actually had the opportunity to uh, have a three day weekend and it was really, really nice. I did nothing but binge watch Arrow. I finished the first season of it and it was quite good. Um, I mentioned it last week a little bit, but Arrow's one of those shows that you have to kind of power through the first few episodes, but once you get to, I believe it's episode 10 or 11, it gets really, really good. And I also started watching season two yesterday, and you can definitely tell that the production value and the budget have gotten bigger and better, which is really good because it it just looks so well done. The stories have been great. The acting has gotten a lot better because in the first few episodes, the acting was just atrocious, but it definitely has improved. And I really, really like where the show's going. It's based off a DC comic book character called the Green Arrow, but it's one of those shows where you don't have to necessarily be a comic book geek to love. It's just a fun action packed show. So I highly recommend checking it out. You can watch the first season on Netflix. And another thing that I did was uh, I actually got a new toy to play with, sort of, that being a USB mixer. I ordered one from Amazon, and it came in the mail Wednesday. And as I was about to rip off the plastic covering, I looked at the back of it and noticed that there was no USB port. So Amazon sent me the wrong mixer, but I do have the correct one on the way. I should have it by the time that uh, I record the next episode. And uh, thankfully, my boss, Adam Waldron, who you know from the show, he's been on it a couple of times, uh, let me borrow his mixer because I will be, for the first time, interviewing more than two people at once. I'll actually be interviewing uh, Timberhawk, who is a local Pensacola rock band, and I believe they have four members, and I'll be interviewing all four of them, so that'll be an interesting venture for sure. But the cool thing about this mixer is you can actually do cool effects as you're recording. The only one I've been able to figure out is if I put my fingers on this little dial here, and I turn it to the right, it kind of gives me an omnipotent, godlike tone. So that's, uh, that's actually kind of neat. I actually, uh, and then I can also, uh, well, let me clear that for a second. I can also kind of imitate myself falling through a bottomless pit in a cave. I can just go like this. No. So that's pretty neat. That's really the only thing that I've learned with this thing, but hopefully 
more to come in the future. But like I said, I'll be interviewing Timberhawk. They'll be on next week. I'll also be interviewing this week uh, two actresses, one being from the Actor Factor, Michelle Rhodes, and the other from Actor Factor and Lost Souls, Marianne, whose last name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Those of you that have been listening to the show know that I struggle with name pronunciation. So Marianne, if you're listening, I do sincerely apologize for that. And I'll also be talking with uh, someone who works in visual effects for NetherRealm Studios, whose name is Jeffrey Larkin. So you gamers will definitely want to tune into that. Uh, NetherRealm is a game developing studio that is mostly famous for Mortal Kombat. So we get a lot of variety coming up on the show, which I really enjoy. And speaking of variety, this week we will be going into the world of art with former Disney interactive artist and current freelance artist, Matt Doring. I met Matt through our mutual friend, Brett Brooks, who he went to college with, and Brett had recommended Matt, and I Facebooked him about possibly coming on the show, and he was very nice and he agreed to it, and we actually had a a fairly lengthy phone conversation a couple of days before the interview, which looking back on it was really helpful because when you go into an interview without really talking to the people you're interviewing, it can, it can kind of, what's the right way to say it? It can kind of hurt you, especially if you're the one doing the interview, because it becomes the question, answer, question, answer format, meaning that I'll just ask the question, the guest will just answer it. And then without really adding anything to it, I'll just instantly ask the next question. So That, I think, really, really helped. And for those that are looking into doing a podcast or may just be starting doing one, that's a good piece of advice I can give is actually like talk to and kind of get to know your guests a little bit before the interview, even if it's just talking for 10 or 15 minutes before you actually do the interview, whether it be you doing the interview in person or it's over Skype or over the phone, just to kind of break the ice, I guess you could say. But Matt was very nice. We talked about uh, Disney, obviously his career at Disney Interactive, some things he's working on now, uh, future projects, uh, how he got into art, and really all, all all that fun stuff. But Matt's a very nice guy, and I thank him again for coming on this show and having a nice conversation, so... So sit back and listen to this nice conversation I had with Mr. Matt Doring. Back here on the Derek Diamond Experience with my special guest this week, Matt Doring. Matt, how's it going? Hey, Derek. It's going pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, Excellent. It was fun uh, getting to chat with you the other day on the phone, getting to know each other a little bit better. So that uh, that was definitely fun. Um, You first thing I wanted to lead off this interview with you grew up in West Virginia or from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Originally born and raised in West Virginia. Yes. And what was that like? Because I I've, I haven't got to travel that much, especially in that area. And you've mm-hmm. you've traveled quite a bit, which we'll get to that later on. Uh, what was it like growing up in West Virginia? You know, I really enjoyed my childhood in West Virginia. Um, 
You know, it doesn't really, I know a lot of people, um, I've gotten questions over the years and people ask me, oh, West Virginia, that must be pretty like sheltered and somewhat backward. And I'm like, no, it, it feels pretty, uh, you know, as uh, like you quickly mentioned, a lot of the travel that I've uh, done over the past couple of years, it, you know, comparing my childhood experience in my hometown in Parkersburg um, to everywhere else that I've had a chance to live and places that I've traveled to, um, feels very similar in a lot of ways. Um, I think, you know, every state certainly has its kind of, uh, rural culture, so to speak. Um, but, uh, for me, it was a really great, uh, great childhood. Um, you know, I think, uh, it was pretty ideal, um, in a lot of respects. Um, I was certainly that type of kid that was, um, spending a lot of time outdoors. West Virginia is a very outdoorsy type of state, a lot of uh, gorgeous natural landscape, um, great uh, national parks. Um, I grew up also as a Boy Scout, so I did my fair share of uh, hiking in the mountains and um, nice. whitewater rafting uh, was an especially popular uh, type of um, activity. Um, grew up playing baseball, um, all kinds of adventures. Um, it was pretty great. Um, and especially in my hometown. Um, oh, um, a lot of people that live in Parkersburg are actually uh, transplants from out of state. So like my parents specifically were, were born and raised in Philadelphia. And uh, my dad traveled to moved to West Virginia uh, for work specifically. Um, and similar case to a lot of families in that area. So uh, along with that came a lot of culture too. Um, so, you know, we have um, pretty sizable downtown area with a lot of popular restaurants, a mall, um, a lot of those typical type of city features. Um, also just a really um, outstanding educational system. Um, felt like uh, like both my junior high and my high school that I went to were some of the best in the state and um, a lot of uh, talented um, athletes um, at the high school, um, a lot of great choir program, great marching band, um, great art instruction. Uh, theater was also pretty big in my hometown too. Uh, so there was a huge, just kind of a huge uh, flourishing of culture in, in that town. So I felt, felt very lucky with uh, the town that I grew up in. You mentioned that you grew up playing baseball. What position did you play? Oh, I was um, I was stuck in the outfield most of the time. <laughs> uh, I so, gotcha. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I wasn't the most coordinated individual <laughs> growing up. I I went through and played a bunch of different types of sports. Like I went went from baseball or baseball. I stuck with for a while. I eventually got bored with it because I got stuck in the outfield a lot. Um, Let's see. Um, I, I also did floor hockey and soccer and basketball. And the sport that ended up sticking for me was uh, swimming. Um, I was actually a pretty decent swimmer. Um, you know, nice. After being horribly coordinated with either throwing a ball or, you know, dribbling a basketball or you know, being able to kick and that type of thing. Uh, swimming uh, was the one thing that I, was, I felt was kind of a fish when it came to water. So that, that worked out pretty well for me <laughs> as far as being reasonably athletic when I'm gr in my um, growing up years. <laughs> yeah. Swimming is a phenomenal way to get in shape because you work out everything. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I did it for, um, I, I did it off and on in the summer growing up. And then in high school, I was more serious about it. Um, I joined 
um, the YMCA competitive team um, my sophomore year of high school um, and was also on the high school swim team. So I was swimming for two different teams uh, for three years in high school. And, um, and it was equal parts fun, but incredibly challenging at the same time. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I have a lot of good memories from those years too. Um, and, uh, let's see, uh, but getting up at five in the morning, uh, twice, or I had to get up at five in the morning, twice a week for early morning swim practice before school. And then I had an hour and a half of swim team practice, um, every day after school. So, <laughs> wow. It was rough, <laughs> but uh, I mean, not that that's any different from any other sports team, but when right. you're, uh, when you're swimming laps constantly for an hour and a half, it does get very exhausting. Oh, I can imagine. So growing up in West Virginia, were you always interested in art or is that something that came along later? Um, it was actually, um, my interest in art started developing at a pretty early age. Um, and I, the main I think reason, I mean, I had a natural affinity towards art. Like I was always, I, I was the kid who would draw on the walls and I think my parents, there's still a door in our basement, um, that I, uh, my four year old scribbles are still present on that door. Um, oh, nice. so, um, you know, I was definitely that type of kid that was always in a coloring book, always drawing on some type of surface. Um, I had like craft projects and like, I, you know, I loved construction paper and cutting and gluing things, um, together. It, you know, I, I was definitely that sort of creative minded in, uh, kid. Um, but I really started to kind of focus more towards drawing and visual arts. Um, once my grandfather started to notice, um, that interest mm -hmm. in me. Um, he, he himself, um, had always wanted to be an artist or be a professional artist. He was a truck driver most of his life. Um, he, um, let's see, uh, he wanted to go to, he, he had a, I think he had a scholarship to go to art school when he was a teenager, when he was like 17, 18. But unfortunately that was right around the time that the, the depression hit so he in, instead decided to take a job to help feed the family. And then World War II came along and he was drafted into World War II. And by the time he got back from the war, he had a wife and a son and another son on the way that he had to take care of. So um, unfortunately, his education or artistic education, he had to put, um, put off to the side, put on hold and was never really able to achieve uh, that goal of becoming an artist. Um, so when he saw that I specifically had that interest, he was very insistent on making sure that my parents took notice and sat me down and made me practice. And, uh, you know, for me, it, you know, I, it w didn't really feel like practice. It always felt like fun. But uh, my grandfather yeah. would, um, you know, call up on a Saturday morning and say, hey, um, your son needs to you know, come over and we're going to sit down and we're going to watch Looney Tunes and we're going to watch Disney movies. And we're going <laughs> to color in the coloring book and this is how it's going to be. And my dad was just like, Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, so that those were some really fond memories. So early, um, very hefty encouragement from him to, um, you know, in enjoying watching cartoons with him, enjoying coloring, coloring books from him. And, uh, you know, him always telling my parents, like, you know, make sure that you uh, give him the opportunities that I never had uh, when I was young. So that's where a lot of that's early, um, the kind of that early artistic interest uh, started. That's awesome. Grandparents are the best. 
They really are. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to spend too much time with my grandfather. He passed away, I think, when I was six or seven. Um, oh, I'm sorry but, to hear uh, that. Yeah, it, I, I mean, he, uh, my, I, my parents had me when they were a little bit older in years. Um, so, you know, he, you know, I think he was um, in his 80s or either late uh, 70s, gotcha. early 80s when he passed away. So he passed away, like, right around the typical age. Um, and it would have been nice to have a few extra years with him, but the years that I did get to spend with him were pretty fantastic. Um, you know, and I was still pretty young. I was four or five and six and they were still very vivid memories that I have even to this day. So, um, yeah, that goes to show how, how uh, pressing, um, his, um, his influence was on my life. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Growing up, were you an outgoing kid or were you more, introverted because a lot of people that I knew growing up that went into art they were very much introverts yeah I was pretty painfully shy growing up (laughs) um and it wasn't really until I started to come out of my shell in high school um I'm I'm pretty um and this is kind of going off on a slight tangent I'm pretty um multifaceted when it comes to being an artist um I'm primarily a visual artist but I also enjoy I also enjoy singing um, and I also enjoy uh, theater as well. So um, along with uh, swim team, my other big commitment in high school was uh, our high school acapella choir. Uh, So that kind of gave me a a community to connect with artistically. Um, I also started doing theater um, in the summers at that time too. So I, between those two things, between, um, you know, performing on a regular basis um, and being surrounded by other um, people who were also passionate about the arts also was really um, helpful for helping me come out of my shell at that at that period of time. Um, and that just, um, I think, increased exponentially, exponentially once I went to art school and um, found a community of artists who were not only um, you know, interested in arts, but we're also specifically interested in animation and, um, and uh, visual arts, animation, and all the specific things that I was into film, especially. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way, which a funny story. Whenever, when I was growing up, it was actually the opposite. I was very mm-hmm. outgoing as a kid, but became introverted. Like when I became a teenager and still, deal with it to this day which we Mm. when we talked on the phone the other day you actually mentioned that you were i believe a boy scout counselor or a counselor of some type that helps you overcome your social anxiety oh that's a good question um you know i do attribute the boy scouts in general i wasn't um oh oh i remember what we talked about specifically um i mean i will say that uh, being in the Boy Scouts was also a huge contribution to me uh, kind of coming out of my shell. Um, I, you know, I remember my early years uh, just being frightened by every single thunderstorm and just being afraid to try new things. And the Boy Scouts definitely kind of forced me into a lot of those scenarios where I really had to either confront specific fears or social anxiety and just go for it much in a similar situation that performing in front of an audience did, uh, when I was later in my later years of high school. So it certainly had a profound experience on me. Um, but the specific thing that you and I were talking about the other day was when I, uh, when I was a sophomore in college, I was a uh, campus tour guide. Um, okay. Okay. Savannah college of art and design. Um, and yeah, nothing will get you over social anxiety, <laughs> like 
being in front of 40 individuals and leading a bus tour for two hours <laughs> gotcha, and having to gotcha. be both informative and entertaining that entire time. So, <laughs> um, but it was yeah. good. It was a good experience. The first two, the, the first couple, um, campus tours that I gave were pretty atrocious, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, as I gained more confidence and got more comfortable with the position, um, you know, it was, I, I could do them no problem. I could do them in my sleep, <laughs> uh, pretty much. So you said you went to Savannah college of art and design. What made you yeah. decide to go to that college? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, when, uh, when I was going, when I was exploring colleges, there were, it kind of came down to three. It was between Savannah College of Art and Design, uh, Ringling School of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida, and Ohio State University. Um, and I got accepted into all three. And what it really kind of came down to was, um, for me, it was a matter of diversity. Diversity specifically um, of uh, various artistic disciplines that I could take advantage of. So um, Ohio State seemed to be a little too liberal arts focused. Ringling seemed to be, they were still, um, I'm not sure how new Ringling is specifically, but I know at that period of time, they, um, you know, they had like maybe 10 or 12 different programs of study and comparing that to SCAD, SCAD had 40 different programs of uh, study all relating to arts and design. Um, so that was really attractive to me that um, if for some reason um, I didn't like the major that I chose, I had, you know, 39 other majors to choose from all relating to art that I could sink my teeth into. Um, and uh, Ringling specifically was pretty heavily focused on visual arts. Um, and SCAD also has, they have a performing arts department and they have various um, clubs and singing groups. And since I was active in singing and performing in high school, it was exciting to know that I could also continue that exploration there too. Um, also when I went to visit Savannah, Georgia, I just fell in love with the city and getting to explore both the animation department and the sequential art departments. Um, the comics department there was just hugely inspiring to me. Um, so it just really felt like when I got the chance to visit before making the final decision, that really kind of sealed the deal for me um, in terms of um, being the right choice for me uh, for my four-year four education. Yeah, I've... I didn't go to Savannah College of Art and Design, but I have looked at the campus, and it's a really, really nice place. And Savannah is just a great city in in and of itself. It is. It's got it's got a lot of cult. It, you know, even outside of the school, it's got a lot of its own culture, a lot of great restaurants and places, you know, uh, places to hang out and things to do. And you know, the beach is fifteen minutes away. Even though I only made it to the beach, I think three times. <laughs> um, oh wow! During my education during my education at SCAD because I spent most of my time doing homework <laughs> working on projects so um but I did make it out a couple times I wish I had made it out more um now that I haven't uh you know spending four years and not only getting to the to the beach um every so often was kind of a, a um it felt kind of tragic <laughs> but yeah. uh, <laughs> kind of a missed opportunity but you know I still had a really outstanding time there nonetheless and that's also where you met our mutual contact, Brett Brooks, correct? Yes, that is correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I got to give him a shout out anytime I have. Uh, oh, sure. Go for it. Yeah. He's a great guy. 
Yeah, he he really, really is. And he's super talented, too. Extremely talented, yes. <laughs> so you finished college. What, what was your first job after you graduated from SCAD? Uh, my first job out of school was um, working for um, a social gaming company called Large Animal Games. Um, and they were primarily, at the time, they were focused on um, Facebook games specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of mobile games towards, I worked there for about two years and towards the end of my employment there, they started to get into mobile games. Um, and that was, um, uh, that was a great experience. Um, I got that, I, I kind of got that job like last minute, right before graduating college. And, um, I literally had, um, like I had to be there like the week after graduation. So I graduated on a Sunday went back to West Virginia for a couple days. And then that very next Saturday, I was um, in New York City um, rooming with uh, my brother, Chris, um, who who still lives there now. Um, so just kind of like packed up a car full of stuff and moved in with my brother and uh, started the internship just a couple days after graduating. <laughs> Going from West Virginia to Georgia to New York, is there a huge culture change in that? Oh, because yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, there's a pretty, pretty significant culture difference. I felt like, uh, West Virginia did feel pretty, I felt a lot of similarity between West Virginia and Savannah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't really say that West Virginia is very kind of, uh, you know, a lot of people want to paint, uh, West Virginia as a Southern state, but you know, technically it's a Northern state too, but it does have its own sort of Southern charm, but also a lot of Northern mentality too. So, but, which was kind of strange, but, um, but as far as comparing or when I moved to Savannah, that felt like a, not as big of a cultural shift, like going from um, like Savannah, for example, to New York city, that was a, a big culture shift going from, you know, really sweet Southern charm sort of town to big sprawling metropolis where, you know, I don't have a car and I take public transportation everywhere. And, um, you know, everything is made of concrete. And, uh, so that was, that was a very, a very big change, but, um, I had been to New York city a couple times prior to making the move there. And since my parents grew up in Philadelphia, I was pretty used to the big city. I, we had gone back to Philadelphia to visit grandparents, um, you know, all throughout my childhood. So it, it wasn't something that I wasn't completely unprepared for, but it was still a little bit of a shock to, um, you know, you go from a, um, in both West Virginia and in Savannah, you know, things are kind of spread out. You really do need a car in order to, um, do your shopping, go from a section of town to section of town, um, uh, to really get a lot of your business done versus, you know, New York city. Um, you don't have a car, you, you know, walk 10 minutes to the train station and you take public transportation for wherever you need to go. Um, and that was a little bit of an, an adjustment for me. Um, but an adjustment that I really enjoyed too. Um, it was just such a, um, a, a kind of a, a completely different way of, of living. And I just really, um, really latched on to it once I moved to, to New York. Um, it was very exciting to me. Oh, I can imagine. After you left New York, you went to Baltimore, correct? Yep. I did a brief stint in Baltimore. Um, that was, uh, I guess as far as a culture culture shift. Um, that was, 
it felt very much like a like you know um if savannah is at one end of a spectrum and new york is at the other end baltimore is kind of right in the center it's got a little bit of southern charm to it um it's you really do need a car in order to kind of um get everywhere unless you're living in downtown baltimore in which case you can probably survive on public transportation pretty easily um but um but you still got that kind of big city atmosphere big city life going on there too when you moved to baltimore did you still work for the same company or was it for a different one it was for a different company um i uh, took a job with uh, zynga um they that is the company that um does uh, Farmville and Words with Friends, uh, some of those popular games that I'm sure folks are probably familiar with. Um, and um, yeah, at the time I was, um, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I, at the time I was, I was looking for a change. I certainly enjoyed living in New York City, um, really in, you know, enjoyed the people I was working with and the job that I was with, but um, I, it, the, the big city, the sprawling metropolis was really starting to get to me a little bit. There's something about um, being in a big city like that. You're always turned on. So your stress levels are always kind of um, up a little bit higher than, than they would normally be in and more kind of suburban neighborhoods or suburban towns. Um, and I just started to feel, and I also, um, at the time, like my primary, the primary work that I was doing at the time was more UI and graphic design. And I, while I enjoy UI and graphic design, I really um, specifically like to focus in character design, concept developments, um, even animation as well. And I was looking for an opportunity to um, kind of focus my um, uh, focus more specifically in a character design or a full-time illustration role. And that's what led me to the decision to, um, to go work for Zynga. Um, and that, that ended up being a really great experience. Um, I got to do, um, got to do a lot of full-time or pretty much did exactly that. Did a lot more full-time illustration, still did some UI design here and there. They, they liked seeing, um, a, that I had a variety of different skills that I could bring to the table. So I did end up doing a little bit of UI design, but my primary work ended up being a lot of um, illustration, promoting different aspects of the game that I was working on at the time. Um, a lot of marketing illustrations, um, rendering some new characters, that type of thing. Um, and that was a, that was a great, uh, a great transition or a great career transition. You've mentioned that, in New York and in Baltimore, you worked for companies that make like the mobile or social media games like mm -hmm. a Farmville or something like when you when you grew up, did you play any video games? Were you a gamer? Uh, yeah, in junior high, I think that was well I guess even prior to that, I was a pretty avid video game player. My the two games that I played religiously were uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon and um, The Sims. Um, I was The Sims was great huge fan of the sims so i i i was with that game all through a lot of its original expansion packs um and played that one that that pretty much dominated my sixth seventh eighth grade years um and uh it, i liked those games because they were very much like sandbox type of games where you could um like i i enjoyed kind of i i was also a big fan of platformer games but i really enjoyed the sandbox type of games because you could be creative and imaginative with your play mm -hmm. um i loved especially in roller coaster tycoon just being able to build my own roller coasters 
um, in The Sims, like when um, the expansion pack Hot Date came out, that was great because you could just build, you, you could go and construct um, your downtown sections without, you know, pretty much limitlessly. You didn't really have a budget. You could just go and freely design and uh, tune um, those environments exactly how you wanted wanted it. And that was just, I had just a free-for-all with that. Um, I spent hours playing that just because I loved that, you know, kind of pure, raw creativity of the, that those games allowed. Um, from a, you know, more traditional, like, a gaming standpoint, um, I was really, we were a Nintendo family, um, so a lot of Mario. Um, I loved Mario 64, uh, Ocarina of Time. Uh, My favorite game into, of all time. Oh, Ocarina of Time. Oh, such a great game. Yes. Um, uh, I think some of my, um, I really enjoyed Ocarina of Time. I was a, I was a pretty big fan of Wind Waker for the GameCube. Mm -hmm. um, I think that might have been one of my favorite Zelda games just because I really enjoyed the different take on the artistic style for that game. Mm -hmm. um, that, was, that was pretty inspiring to me. Um, I also really enjoyed Super Mario Sunshine, uh, Animal Crossing I was really big into. Um, so yeah, those were, some, those were some of my favorites. And then when the Wii came out, Mario Galaxy, I was a pretty big fan of. Oh, Mario Galaxy is fantastic. Oh my gosh, such a fun like the ideal platformer. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the trailer for the new upcoming Zelda game? Yes, I have. And I think I might have to buy a Wii, uh, is it Wii U? Yes. Uh, yeah, I have to buy a Wii U specifically for that game. <laughs> yeah, th this, is, this is the Zelda game that I, along with other Zelda fans, have waited for for a long time. I can imagine so. <laughs> it looks gorgeous and yes I, it does and the fact that um i was reading an article the other day and i didn't realize this that um that that was actual gameplay footage and that it wasn't just using the engine i thought it was just like an in-engine like footage but no it was actual gameplay footage like that just blows my mind <laughs> well i didn't i didn't even know that yeah that's crazy yeah. isn't that crazy oh gosh that's awesome so that's, that's gonna be it too bad we have to wait until 2015 before that game comes out <laughs> yeah no so after uh, Baltimore and you finished with your social media games with Zynga, uh, mm -hmm. where did you go from there? Uh, let's see. That was that uh, work transitioning out of Zynga. Well, I transitioned from Zynga to Disney Interactive after that, and that was a really quick transition. Um, unfortunately, when let's see, when I started working for Zynga. Um, they took a really big nosedive in terms of stock prices. And that was right at the, like, let's see. So I only got to work there for about six months before the studio uh, there in Baltimore ended up getting shut down, which is really unfortunate because we, we put out uh, this game called Cityville 2 um, that mm -hmm. I was pretty proud of. I thought it looked really great. As far as a Facebook game is concerned, I mean, it was the graphics engine for that game was really impressive for a Facebook game. Um, and I was really excited about a lot of the kind of storytelling elements that we put into it. Uh, a lot of the character development and storytelling was really outstanding as well. Um, and unfortunately it just wasn't much of a hit with uh, the Zynga user base. Um, I think that and a couple other, and with the stock price dip and a few other things kind of led to the studio shutdown. So I would have liked to have spent a little bit more time working there, but unfortunately it wasn't in the cards. But luckily, um, at the time that 
um, Zynga was that it, things weren't looking good for the Baltimore studio. Um, I got um, contacted by uh, Disney Recruiting um, saying that um, a friend of mine from college had recommended me for a position with their uh, Eugene, Oregon uh, studio um, and wanted to know if I wanted to interview for the position. So thankfully, timing worked out. It couldn't, the timing could not have been better for that <laughs> to happen. So, um, by the time when I, I got the, let's see, I got the, the notification, I got that email, um, the very next week had an interview with the recruiter and then with the art director, um, and then did another series of interviews with the team. And in about two and a half weeks, I had a job offer, uh, from getting the email to, well, let's see. There was a, a bit of time between getting the email and setting up the interviews, but once we started the interview process, it was about two weeks and I had a job offer and I decided to take it. And um, I think that was like right in the middle of December of 2012. And um, right after the new year that year, I started the truck across country to move to, to Oregon. Oh, so you drove from Baltimore to yes. Oregon. Yes, yes, I did. Um, I drove, uh, it took about eight days uh, to get there. Wow, that's that, that had to be a fun adventure, though. Kind of, did you actually get to uh, see stuff? Man, it was amazing. It was great, um, and I got to drive with uh, my best friend from high school, my buddy Zach. Um, I drove my the, my first day of travel was going from Baltimore to Charleston, West Virginia, uh, to pick him up. He and I go way back. We um, our parents were actually good friends before either of us were even born. So we, we've known each other since the cradle. Um, so it was really great. And he's a huge Disney fan himself too. Um, you know, we're, we're, we just connect on a lot of different levels. So to be able to share the experience of traveling across country to you know go work for Disney interactive was just a really special experience to be able to share that with him. Um, so it, it, it was a great trip. Um, we, let's see, what was our route? Um, let's see if I can remember this off the top of my head. Um, since it's been a little while. Uh, let's see, went from Baltimore to Charleston to pick up Zach. Um, and then we, we stopped in Louisville, Kentucky uh, to visit uh, another high school, a mutual high school friend of ours. Uh, stopped there for lunch. Um, stayed overnight in St. Louis with some family friends. Then we um, had, let's see, an eight-hour drive to Oklahoma City the next day uh, with a lunch stop at, oh, I can't remember the name of the city in Missouri, but we, we stopped for lunch at this place that's known for uh, throwing rolls. Um, they basically, when, when rolls are, are done, they have like kind of a cafeteria set up um, right. in their, their eating area. Mm-hmm. And whenever rolls come fresh out of the oven, they roll them out and they say, who wants a roll? And you, they just toss it to your table. <laughs> so, that's really cool. Th- so that was a really fun experience. Um, when we were in St. Louis, we got to, um, we went up in the, um, the arch and, um, did some, some food tasting around there. Um, and we didn't get to do much in Oklahoma city. That was just a quick, um, stay there overnight and then continue the drive on. We had a, after Oklahoma city, we have a, we had a 12 hour stretch, um, the next day where we, we stopped, did a stop in Amarillo, Texas, um, and then did a quick stop in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then ended up in Flagstaff, Arizona, where we stayed for the night. Um, and then the the day after that, we took a shorter day after the 12-hour day, um, where we spent our morning doing a tour of the Grand Canyon, which was breathtakingly gorgeous. 
Um, awesome. That was a, I had never seen that was my first time going to the Grand Canyon. So that was just an, an excellent experience. Um, from there, we drove four hours to Las Vegas and we, um, we parked there for a day, um, and decided to, or we, we decided to do a day in Las Vegas. Um, neither one of us are, are really big gamblers. We, we did a few slot machines just to say that we did it, but, uh, we, we didn't really spend too much time in the casinos, but we did walk, uh, the entire length of the strip. We, we stayed at the gold nugget, which is pretty far. I guess it's, not really bad with directions, but I think it was north of the strip. Um, I don't really have, not sure if I have my bearings of that, but it's pretty far away from the strip. So we walked from our, our hotel, the gold nugget all to the strip, which is a ways. And then all the way down the strip. And, um, we just spent our time like, um, staring at, you know, the mammoth hotels that are, um, you know, the, the Bellagio and, um, Oh, geez, I'm going to have tr- trouble remembering the names of these um, and the the um, uh, the Greek themed casino and uh, just really, you know, taking pictures left and right. And uh, we had uh, a really great uh, burger at uh, the Paris Hotel mm-hmm. and uh, did a frozen hot chocolate at the Serendipity Cafe. And just, gosh, that was just that experience in and of itself, just soaking in just the the Mecca that is Las Vegas was just really outstanding. I would love to go back at some point in time just so I could eat my whole way through because we kept running into (laughs) restaurants that I just, I was like, oh, I want to eat there. I want to eat there. Oh, I want to try that. So, um, (laughs) so that was pretty, (laughs) so that might, might be something I'd take advantage of at some point in the future. Um, Let's see. Then from after our trip in Las Vegas, we drove to, um, we traveled to, let's see, headed to California. We stopped in Bakersfield for lunch and then traveled up the interstate to uh, San Francisco where we stayed overnight um, and stayed with uh, some friends of mine from uh, SCAT. Um, I have a, a handful of friends that live there. So we got to, let's see, we um, did dinner in San Francisco, then woke up the next morning and uh, my buddy Colin invited us to uh, Pixar for a studio tour visit, which was outstanding. Oh, that, <laughs> I am so jealous right now. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was really uh, an amazing experience. Um, they the the tour like if if you get a personal tour there, it's pretty limited with what you get to see. It's pretty much limited to the main building, and they have a second main building that they just finished constructing. So we got to look around in both of those locations, and they had um, I think they had the Art of Brave um, as an exhibit in one of their main buildings. So we got to see like original hand sculpted maquettes and original sketches and drawings and from, um, you know, the concept art that they did for brave. And that was just, wow, that was incredible. <laughs> um, so that, and uh, you know, my buddy Zach was just, you know, uh, you know, I was beside myself. Zach was beside himself. So we just had ourselves a really great time getting to visit the studio there. Um, we didn't get to do a whole lot of, um, touring around San Francisco, um, but we did, um, after the, the studio visit there, we went, um, I drove across the Golden Gate Bridge into wine country and did, um, a late lunch in wine country, which was really, really great. Um, and ended up staying, um, staying overnight in Northern California. Um, and then the day after that was our last day of the trip where we, we, um, 
we drove along the Pacific Coast Highway a little bit. Not the there's a stretch of it that's in um, Northern California that goes into this uh, into Oregon, um, mm-hmm. and so we got to see some of the black sand beaches, which was really uh, really gorgeous, um, and uh, did a lot of got to see a lot of the redwood forests and. Um, eventually made our way back over to I-5 and then finished the trek up to Eugene, Oregon after that. So um, it was really, gosh, as far as the trip is concerned, gosh, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity right there. <laughs> that's that's like the American dream. It, oh you get gosh. to see... You got to see so much. That's really, really cool. I'm yeah. extremely envious of that, actually. Yeah, if you ever get the chance to do a cross-country road trip, I highly recommend it. <laughs> um and the, and the cool thing is, is um, uh, let's see, there are so many different routes that you can take. I think there are like maybe three or four different interstates that will take you across country. And like uh, my friend Sarah, who I knew from college that works um, at Disney here in, in Eugene, um, she um, and her boyfriend at the time took a, route, a northern route that took them through Colorado and Utah. Um, I had some friends after I made the move out west who moved to Seattle and they drove all the way down south and like took the interstate right along the Mexican border. Um, so it's really cool to um, get to hear all the various stories from those folks that did the cross country trek, but did a different, you know, just a slightly varied uh, version of that cross country trek. Mm-hmm. So, so um, if I ever move back east, I, I'll definitely take advantage of one of those other options as well. <laughs> That'd be really fun. Yeah, for sure. So when you got the job at Disney, what mm-hmm. what was your role at Disney Interactive? Um, I was hired. Um, my my position was similar to what I had at Zynga. I was initially hired as a UI designer um, because of my experience working at Large Animal and at Zynga. Um, but they were specific, they were looking for a UI designer, but they were also looking for someone who was um, a, a pretty skilled illustrator as well. Um, I've noticed that in the games industry, folks like to, um, they tend to like to hire artists who are, uh, versatile. So if you, the more skill sets that you can bring to the table, um, the, the better, the better off their studio is going to be. Um, it certainly, you know, is beneficial to, if you can hire someone who is, a, you know, like a UI designer, graphic designer, illustrator, animator who is well versed in all those skills. That's you know that um, that many less people, I guess, that you have to bring on to an art team. Um, you can kind of um, run an art team on a smaller group of people who have a wider diversity of skill sets that way. So that that really worked out in this in this case. They they liked my experience as a UI designer, um, which I had done for about two and a half years up to that point. Um, but then we're really excited to see, um, you know, a lot of experience illustrating. And it ended up that a lot of the work that I did for Disney was um, illustration work. Um, similar to, you know, my job at Zynga ended up being a lot of illustration work as well. What were some of the things that you worked on specifically? Um, the game the, the game that I spent the most time on was another social game for Facebook um, called uh, Disney City Girl. Um, so it's kind of a, um, a fashion, um, dress up sort of game, um, which is, you know, it's got a lot of personality and a lot of character to it. Um, and, um, worked on that for about a year and a half. Um, and I'm actually still 
working on that game even in my my time with Disney um, ended um, back in March um, and that when that game got sold to a new company and I got brought on to um, the new company that now owns uh, City Girl and I'm continuing to work on it for right now um, doing uh, doing some extra um, work for um, the bulk of the work that I did for that was uh, kind of for weekly missions so designing um, collectible items, um, a lot of uh, marketing imagery to uh, promote new mission sets or new features going into the game. If we're selling new furniture sets or new clothes that you can buy for your avatar, that type of thing. Um, did a lot of advertising assets for that too. Did you grow up a Disney fan? Uh, yes, yeah, so I grew up a, a very huge Disney fan. <laughs> so uh, my favorites, of course, being uh, Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and Aladdin. And um, yeah, it was just, um, it, it was, uh, Disney played a very huge, huge role in my life all throughout um, um, my adolescent years um, and was certainly inspiring, you know, inspirational in um, my artwork in high school and that type of thing. Um, and I think my like my grandfather, who I talked about earlier um, in our conversation, um, he I, I think he specifically had always hoped to be um, a Disney animator himself. Um, so it, it was when I was able when I got the job at Disney Interactive, it was just it was a really special moment for me, not only to get the opportunity to work for a company that I had always um, heavily admired and had always meant a lot to me. But um, it was also kind of me fulfilling a dream that he never got the chance to fulfill. Um, and that was just a, a really um, awesome moment for me um, in getting a chance to to work for Disney. Yeah, I can imagine. So uh, did you enjoy any of the Disney Pixar movies growing up? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um Yes, I sure did. Um, every single one of them, really. I mean, I, I, I have been a big Pixar fan uh, for a while. Um, I think my, my favorite of the series is The Incredibles. Um, that, to me, like when I saw that, I was just like, wow, that's just like everything I've ever wanted to do with a film. Like, I, mm -hmm. I love, love spy films. I love jazz music. I love uh, retro design style. Uh, retro vintage inspired design style. Um, looking at that art book, it has a very kind of modern um, influenced um, flair to it. And uh, this, you know, and the color design too was really excellent. It just like struck all of the notes that I really resonate with as an artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Incredibles, like I'm with movies, I'm usually iffy on, whether or not a sequel should be made, but they Pixar needs to make another Incredibles movie, which I I think they they recently announced that they're going to be working on an Incredibles two. Oh, good. Yeah, good. That'll be so that, that's really good. As far as I'm, I, I think that information is correct. Um, I, I think I read that online a couple a couple months ago that an Incredibles two is in the works. That that's. All the information that we have, whether Brad Bird is directing it or not, I, I guess we'll have we have yet to see. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I'm extremely excited about that. <laughs> probably the, we probably won't be getting that until like 2017 or 18, but that's okay. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. The crazy thing about Pixar is they don't make bad movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I can. That's very true. I grew up at like most other kids my age and even older and younger, I grew up a huge Toy Story fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I remember when they announced the third one, 
several years ago, and I was thinking it's going to be terrible if they just pick up right where the second one left off and Andy's a kid and all this kind of stuff. And then when they announced the story that it was going to be Andy older and going off to college, I instantly said in my mind, this is going to work. And yeah. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I cried at the ending. Oh, dude, I think we all did. <laughs> because I mean, it, was, it was like us oh growing up. Yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, I, I'm not sure uh, about you, but like I, I, I was Andy's age when that film came out. So, you know, I felt like I was growing up with Andy as the films were coming out. So I think for, for our generation, definitely um, that struck a huge chord with a lot of us. Um, yeah, how old are you? Uh, I'm 26. Okay, yeah, you're only a year younger than me. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, yeah, so for our generation, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways we can really relate to what Andy was going through in that third movie, uh, you know, having to say goodbye to our childhoods in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we were right there with him. Um, yeah, it, it was just a, a fantastic movie. And it's, I don't, I don't know if I would call it my favorite because the first one is mm -hmm. so iconic, but it's definitely... Sure. It's definitely up there. Yeah, it's certainly up there for me, too. So when you left Disney Interactive, was that when you first started doing freelance work, or had you done other freelance work prior to, say, right when you graduated college or just any point in time mm. in your career? Well, um, and just for clarity's sake, unfortunately, I, I didn't leave Disney. I uh, was laid off. Um, there was a huge... Gosh, at the beginning of March, I think Disney Interactive laid off about 700 employees across the company. Um, so unfortunately, I got wrapped up in, in that process. Um, but it's, it's worked out pretty well since then. That's when I decided to, um, you know, I wasn't really sure. It kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't really sure um, right away what the next move was going to be for me. Um, but I had been in the months leading up to that layoff, I had been approached by a few individuals looking for some, um, looking for various uh, freelance artists for, uh, for a variety of projects. So it just kind of worked out really well that right when the layoff came around that I had a couple projects already lined up that I was able to uh, sink my teeth into. Um, mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate in that regard. Um, so that, um, so that started, um, what I've been doing for the past couple months, which has been mostly, um, excuse me, a lot of full-time freelance work. Um, I have since been, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, the game I was on at Disney got sold to a new company. We got hired back on and now I'm doing, um, some, some work for them to help build up, um, to help build up that game and help make it successful for the new company. But a lot of the primary work that I've been doing has been freelance since then. And you, uh, when we were talking the other day, you mentioned that you have been illustrating a children's book. Uh, it's, that was a project I did. Um, well, sorry, I guess to answer one of your earlier questions, um, this wasn't really my first time doing freelance work or this recent stint of freelance work that I've been working on. Um, I had, I've been doing freelance work off and on for the past three years or so. Um, if, you know, a, a project comes along and it 
feels like it fits me. It feels like it's good timing and I have some spare time outside of my day job to work on it. I'll, I'll usually take it on just for the additional experience. Um, and, uh, that the project that I had taken on this time last year, uh, was a children's book. Um, my first children's book, uh, not one that I wrote myself. Um, I was approached by an author based out of Connecticut to work on the story that she was writing, uh, based on, uh, kind of semi-autobiographical. Um, it's a story called, um, the, let's see, called Magic Kringle. Um, and it's about, uh, this little boy named, uh, Tenny and his pet dragon Smudge, who, um, is a, um, he's a stuffed animal similar to, it's kind of like a Calvin and Hobbes sort of thing where the dragon comes to life in his imagination and they have, um, adventures together. And so they work together to save Christmas. Um, and I worked on that book for, um, about four months, um, over the summer last year, um, and that finished up um, kind of a long stint of freelance work then and then picked up an, a new stint since getting laid off at Disney these past couple months. How would you compare doing freelance work to working for a full-time company? Hmm. That's, a really, that's a really good question. Um, let me think for a second. Um, it's definitely, it, it does feel a little bit more chaotic, um, but it also offers its own freedom at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, depending on, you know, certainly depending on the season that you're in a freelance work. I mean, freelance is definitely a feast or famine sort of, uh, sort of situation. Um, and um, I, what I enjoy about doing freelance work is that you personally can be very selective with the type of work that you, that you get to work on versus working for a studio. You're working on a game. You're you typically working on a game that you yourself have not, um, or you're working on like one specific project, um, that you specifically get hired to work on, um, versus in freelance, you get a little bit more flexibility to, you know, if you're, if you have your choice between a few different projects to work on, you have the, the power or the agency to decide which projects you feel inspired by or, or want to work on. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, that's the case. I know there, you know, there are certainly times when doing freelance work that you don't, um, necessarily have that option. If you're pursuing freelance work full time, I have been, um, in a position where I have had a, a day job so I can be more selective with the freelance work that I take on outside of working hours. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, you, you can be more selective, you can be more choosy with the type of projects that you work on, but you know, there's also that lack of stability thing. The schedules tend to be a little bit more chaotic with freelance work. Um, I've certainly been approached with work that, you know, Hey, we need this in, here's this job, we need it tomorrow, or we need it in a couple days, um, versus a project that you might be in for the long haul. Um, so there, there are certainly pros and cons to both doing full-time freelance and working for a studio full-time. I couldn't have put it any better myself. I do freelance work as well, and <laughs> I totally agree. 
So what do you have planned for the future? Um, another good question. Um, let's see. Um, as I'm wrapping up a lot of freelance work um, and some of the work that I'm doing on City Girl, um, I'm cons um, planning to um, make a move to LA in the next couple months. Um, I have recently accepted uh, one of the freelance um, vendors that I work that I've been working with. Um, this studio called Red Interactive has just recently extended me a full-time offer. Um, for a full-time concept artist position in Santa Monica. So um, I'll continue to be working freelance for them in the coming months. And then once my uh, lease is up at my apartment here in Eugene, I will be making the transition down to LA. So that's where my next adventure will be. Um, in addition to that, I've got um, so I'll probably be pretty busy over the next couple of months getting ready for that. Uh, once I'm firmly stationed in LA, I'll be getting ready for my next convention, which is going to be CTN Animation Expo um, in November. That's a, um, an animation industry specific event that takes place um, in Burbank, California. So um, what's, so, what's it like doing conventions? You know, um, I, since, hmm, that's a good question. Um, conventions are something that I've just kind of, I, I, I don't do very often. Um, I'm pretty selective with the conventions that I, that I do get involved with. Um, I tend to go for conventions that have a pretty strong animation presence. Um, so for me doing conventions, um, is a really fun experience because I tend to be pretty selective with the ones that I go to. Um, for me, doing conventions um, is just a really, it has become a really great way for me to um, reconnect with um, industry connections, have great conversations with new and aspiring artists, um, and also just get a chance to kind of show off my work and, um, and get to make a little bit of money on the side. Um, depending on the, uh, I tend to do, you know, I sell some prints, um, I do... Um, I have a, a book that I sell also of just a collection of artwork and some other kind of hand woodcrafted um, items as well. So I just kind of use it as um, kind of, um, yeah, I use conventions as a way for me to kind of play and experiment with my art a little bit and kind of test to see, you know, how people react to certain new pieces if I want to try out a new style or try out some some interesting way to present a product. Um, that's kind of my, my way to kind of play around with um, that kind of um, uh, business ownership, so to speak. Um, and, um, and it's interesting, the reception I get at uh, conventions. The two that I've, that I've started doing on a regular basis are, I, I table at this convention, CTN Animation Expo, um, in the fall, and I've started doing WonderCon in Anaheim, California. Um, Anaheim is a more comic book specific focused event. Um, mm -hmm. and that's always really interesting because I don't really, um, uh, I, I don't go presenting any comic specific work. I go with, um, prints of just illustration work. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a mixed reaction. Some people, um, a lot of people are looking for fan art, which I do some fan arts. Um, it's not really what I focus on. I enjoy doing it certainly, 
But um, I, you know, I like to do, um, I like to tell my own stories and my own characters. So at more comic specific conventions, um, I notice people who do have a lot more fan art tend to get a lot more attention and make a lot more sales. Um, versus uh, for me, when I go to the animation convention, um, people, the mindset is a little bit different. People are looking for more specifically looking for, for, you know, if kind of fresh takes and artwork specifically in, you know, concept style paintings and illustrations. Um, so I tend to do a little bit better at the more animation specific events. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, kind of a basic overview of what it's well, for me, what uh, doing conventions is like. It's always an exhausting experience. I'm always, you know, uh, pretty typically I spend my entire day talking and I'm on my feet most of the time. So it's a pretty exhausting experience, but, um, yeah. if it's, if it's like the Anaheim convention, which is, um, uh, you know, right down the street from, from Disney world or from Disneyland, it's, um, it's a pretty fun experience because we just end up, you know, finishing the convention and then just going to eat in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> so got to take advantage of that while you're in close proximity to it. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you for food tips one day oh sure i i i love eating <laughs> uh, eating's great uh, what advice could you give to someone if they came up to you and they said mm-hmm. i want to be an artist or i want to be a designer what advice would you give them another great question um where to begin um let's see um i think one of the one of the pieces of um uh, great, great pieces of wisdom that comes up every so often um, in this industry that I've started noticing is um, the importance of networking, timing, and preparation. So um, what I would recommend to students who are looking to get into this industry is, um, you know, as far as the timing aspect is concerned, um, you know, to understand that there is a certain amount of luck involved with not only getting work, but especially getting um, either your dream job or getting to work with your dream studio. Um, It does require a lot of persistence and a lot of patience. So if you go in with this attitude that, um, you know, I, I see a lot of students who are, or aspiring animators, aspiring artists who um, really want to get to that dream job like right away. Um, and for, you know, a handful of people, um, that, that does happen. I certainly have had friends at, um, at SCAD who have gone straight from, um, being a student at SCAD to working at Disney or working at Pixar. Um, but for most people, it's going to be a process. And if you enter into, um, your career understanding that, your career is a journey. It is a process. I think you're going, I think you're, you're going to be tackling it the appropriate way. Um, so just know that right off the bat and, and trust that and be patient with yourself. Um, along with that, um, you know, along with being patient, um, the best thing that you can do while either waiting for the right opportunity to come along is to be as prepared as humanly possible make sure that you have your developing an online presence, whether that be my personal favorites are Twitter and Instagram um, and Tumblr. 
Um, make sure that you have a personal website that people can navigate to easily that all, you know, that is professionally laid out, that is easy to navigate, um, and that is easy to access. Um, that is extremely important and has your most up-to-date artwork and make sure that you are updating it on a regular basis. Um, same goes for your Twitter and your Instagram feeds. Make sure that you are uh, drawing consistently and uh, posting new artwork all the time. Um, that is a great way to gain yourself exposure. Um, I have certainly my job um, at Zynga and my job at um, uh, and my job at Red Interactive that I'm going to be moving to this summer were the results. Um, partially in having developed a, an online presence. Um, and um, like I, I connect the, the friend that connected me to the job at Zynga, um, I met through Blogger um, and uh, furthered our relationship uh, with a trip to CTN a couple years ago. Um, the friend that connected me to this job in Santa Monica, um, I met through CTN and we developed our relationship online via Twitter. So that's a great thing to keep in mind. Um, uh, so, you know, there's kind of all three things right there, the networking, the timing, and the preparation. And as long as you are, you know, sure it may take a while, but as long as you're hitting the networking and the preparation on a consistent basis, the timing is going to catch up and you're going to land the, you're going to land an opportunity eventually. Um, go ahead. I think I've done that's uh, that's awesome advice. That's really good advice, and that's actually a really good segue because I wanted to ask you: Do you have any social media or website that you would like to plug? Uh, sure. Um, if anyone wants to look at my artwork or look at my artwork, um, I do have my own website, um, mattdoring.com, spelled um, uh, M-A-T-T-D-O-E-R-I-N-G.com. From there, you can find links to uh, my Twitter accounts and my Instagram accounts. Those are the accounts that I update the most often. Um, I also have a Tumblr account that I um, uh, that I keep updated pretty frequently, but I enjoy Twitter and uh, and Instagram the most. So there you go. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you very much for coming on the show. This was a great interview. Thank you very much, Derek. I appreciate you having me on your show. That'll do it for this week's show. Once again, I'd like to thank Mr. Matt Doring for coming on for that really fun conversation, and I wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors. Next week, we will be looking into the world of music with local rock band Timberhawk based out of the Pensacola area. So all of you music fans and even you local music fans should definitely tune in because it'll be a really fun conversation. And don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter at ddiamondexp. Like us on Facebook at the Derek Diamond Experience. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore Diamond. And that'll do it. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.